seeing that photo of Ron Burgundy, I want to like type something into one of the uh, synopses so that as people are reading it, they just happen to read that out loud as well. Like Ron Burgundy does. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's one of the funniest. Go fuck yourself, Brian Fuller. And welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories, just for all of you. Uh, I am Philip. This is my voice that you are hearing. There are other voices that we will be hearing from uh, this podcast, and they are my lovely Popsicle crew. We've got Claire Thorne. Uh, it is morning here, Claire. How are you, and how is Grogu? Grogu's fine. He's more awake than I am, but I've got the coffee, so we're good. Nice. Excellent. Uh, Kelly Sue, how is your, uh, how is your aura doing? What's your new aura My aura um, is very tracked and organized. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Justin, uh, how are you, sir? You came in carrying a mug. What do you, what have you got in that mug? Tell the audience what you got there. Uh... It's like a tea. soda mug. Oh, it's tea? Okay. It looked like a Coca-Cola yeah. mug. It so is a... I was hoping uh, it was like Coke, like morning Coke. It is a Christmas mug. Oh, okay. So Mine naughty. says naughty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very naughty, Justin. I save, I save its pair for my wife. I save the nice one for my wife. It's oh, very nice. What a mensch. Yeah. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> and we've got Lisa Weber. Lisa, are you feeling naughty or nice today? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm feeling tired, but also naughty. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Very tired, naughty. We'll take it. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Good. Good morning, everyone. Yay. And, I, I'd uh, like to give Lisa's answer. <laughs> feeling tired, but naughty. Indeed. I have enough energy for some naughtiness. That's for sure. I love it. Uh, well, let's uh, let's dive in, and hopefully, some of that will naturally just like accumulate oh. at the surface. Um, but as we dive in here, what we're going to do is, we, as we usually do, we're going to start with a synopsis that was written by Kelly Sue, um, and it's going to be read today by Claire and Kelly Sue, the recap of Digestivo, if you will. Ladies. Welcome to the episode that contains Kelly Sue's second favorite moment of the entire show. But first, we have to flash back real quick to the dirty cops intersecting Hannibal's craniotomy dinner party to see just how this bullshit went down. The bounty hunters collect their bounties, that is to say Hannibal and Will, and prepare to eliminate Jack when, from the stillness of the Buona Notte, Chio fires two shots straight to their dirty heads. Chio sets Jack free. They have some cute banter about how she was on the right floor. And she says the kidnappees are headed for Muskrat Farm, AKA Mason Burgess House of Death. Jack heads back to the US and we unfortunately head to Mason's. Back on the farm, Mason and Cordell receive Hannibal and Will and in short order, lay out their truly disgusting plan. Basically, Cordell is going to chop up Hannibal over several days, preparing parts of him in all sorts of ways, but he's also going to take Will's face off. That's right. Cordell is going to perform a face transplant on Will and Mason so that Mason can eat Hannibal with Will's face. The actual level of pettiness would be impressive if it wasn't so fucking gross. But speaking of gross, Margot and Alana discuss their own plans for what they'll do once they're free of these nasty dudes. They briefly discuss harvesting Mason's sperm, gross, to impregnate Alana, still I ask why, and then we come to find that Mason has already impregnated a surrogate, and we know for sure she is not sitting on a pillow somewhere eating prenatal vitamins and drinking (laughs) green smoothies. Upon receiving this surrogate news, Margot goes to visit Hannibal, who's restrained in the pig pen, but in like a sexy way. She shares with him how Mason has finally given her what she's always wanted and Hannibal is all, girl, seriously, no. He explains the only therapeutic answer to her relationship with Mason is to kill him. Agreed, TBH. This is when Alana comes in, literally guns a-blazing, shooting Hannibal's guard and telling him that she'll set him free if he promises to rescue Will and keep him alive. 
Hannibal says, in essence, I got you, fam. And he means it because next thing we know, he's murdering Mason's security in its entirety, saving Will from Cordell and putting Cordell's face on Mason. Oh, how I lolled. My glee lasts not even five seconds because next we get to meet the surrogate who's actually a fucking pig with a human fetus inside. How was this show on network television? Alana removes the fetus, but he's still born. No kidding. But what is successfully born is Margot's thorough taste for Mason's blood. Alana and Margot head over to his gross room to discuss things with his gross face. They tell him that Hannibal helped them milk his prostate with a goddamn cattle prod and then wave his own juice in his face before drowning him with his electric eels. My delight is restored because deserved. Hannibal carries Will, sleeping beauty style, back to his farm and lays him down to rest before rendezvousing with Chio and her shotgun out on the porch. They discuss many things, the most important of which is that Hannibal did eat Misha, but he didn't kill her. They part ways just in time for Will to wake up and tell Hannibal that he no longer wants to be connected to him in any way. He doesn't want to think about him or know where he is, and he isn't going to find him. He says, goodbye, Hannibal, just as a single blood-soaked tear streams down my cheek. Kelly Sue's cheek. We're going to clarify that. <laughs> Hannibal leaves, and we see an FBI motorcade arriving at Will's house. Will tells Jack that Hannibal is gone, except, wait, he's not. He fucking surrenders, and before he does, he says to Jack, I want you to know where I am and where you can always find me. If that is not the grandest gesture of love, I don't know what is. Put a ring on it already, Will. I was so entertained by that. I forgot I was reading sections of it there. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. My I, goodness. We have a pretty clear idea of how Kelly Sue feels about uh, at least this first question. That was uh, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're going to begin at uh, Maison uh, de Verger. And if anybody doesn't get the French pun there, go out and take a few classes, uh, muskrat farms. If uh, Hannibal's office and uh, the Dracula estate represents his mental space, then muskrat farms represents Mason Berger's mental space. And we get a pretty in-depth look at it this episode. So let's talk about the horror that is uh, Mason Berger. Um, and why is this horror so much more grotesque than Hannibal's? I, uh, uh, they're both doing terrible things to terrible people chopping them up and splaying them all over the place, putting babies and pigs, uh, both treat the people they're supposed to love with psychological violence that uh, I would say is pretty unacceptable. Um, let's, uh, let's jump into Mason and, and the Mason Verger estate and all of these Mason storylines coming to an end. Uh, Lisa. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was thinking about um, the nature of this question as I was kind of refreshing my memory by kind of rewatching the episode last night. And I was like, um, yeah, I, I see, I see the parallels here between what Mason is doing and what Hannibal does, but it hits different when Mason's doing it. And that is for sure. So yeah. So I was thinking about why it hits different when Mason does it. Um, first off, personality goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Person and um, Mason is very much lacking in that department. Um, like, and we've talked a lot about how Hannibal, like he, he does murder to this like elevated space and makes art of it. Whereas Mason, as Kelly Sue pointed out in the recap, is a petty bitch. And he's like, he's not doing it for any other purpose than to just be an asshole. It's like Hannibal's got like, I feel like he has like a much larger kind of worldview <laughs> when he does his murder and evil stuff. Does that make sense? Also, you know, he's handsome and he's <laughs> gross. <laughs> There's, I, I can't wrap my head around in this moment why, but, um, you know, Hannibal's murders are super like intense and graphic 
and horrifying. But I don't think I've ever been like, ew. In the same way that I am with Mason Verger. Like, the, the whole fetus and the pig thing, like, no, no, no. That's just gross. <laughs> That's th- nothing about that is anything other than disgusting. Um, and I don't think I've had that reaction to any of Hannibal's murders that I can even think of. I mean, no, none of them leave me being like, hmm, yuck, <laughs> in the same way. And I don't know why. <laughs> Because it's not like they're, you know. Well, there's cert- there's cert- there's no artistry also. There's no artistry exactly. at all to what Mason does. I mean, yes, the, no. the scenery of like, oh, this like curtained like. And the thing. pig but mobile? It, the pig mobile oh and all that God. stuff is just kind of like, it's just him being a dick. It's rude. It's not him being an artist. Yeah, it's him being rude. Yeah. It's disrespectful. That it is. Hannibal, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Hannibal is an adult doing these things and behaving the way an adult would. And Mason is a, the child and he's this slimy bully child who's, you know, cutting off girls' hair, you know, the pigtails yeah. to make mm-hmm. a very just simplistic comparison. Every single thing that Mason does is out of this childish sniveling um whiny you know his display of power is so easily seen like it's so transparent in its um whininess it's yeah and it yeah it culminates in this episode in yeah i agree with (laughs) kelly sue the the whole fetus and the pig is just like the only moment in Hannibal where I was like, okay, yeah, I didn't need that Mason Verger. I didn't need to see, I didn't need to know about that or have that, or I just didn't need to hear you talk about it. And yeah. Yeah. Mason Verger is like the mean kid in Toy Story. Just bad. Sid. Yeah. (laughs) Sid. 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 Well, and he's even he's it though. I'll I'll give this to Sid because I remember the first time I watched Toy Story, being like, I get that this kid's the bad guy or whatever. This kid is a budding artist, and I appreciated that about Sid. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Because it was like he was he was crafting things, creating. He was a budding Hannibal. Then is what we're saying. Yeah, he was at the beginning. Hannibal and Mason had a kid. It would be Sid. There you go. There you go. All right, great. Okay, that's fair. Right. <laughs> Justin, please say yes, something Justin. smart. Justin. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's super simple. I think that Mason is a bully and Hannibal's not. Yeah. You know, Hannibal ostensibly, he may not see the people he tortures and kills as peers, but they're ostensibly equals. He doesn't attack weak people. He doesn't attack people who can't defend themselves you know given the opportunity and mason totally does that yeah um also so much of what mason does has a weird skeevy sexual component to it yeah i wish i could do this to all the women killings do not you know i mean in the show at least i'm not sure we see very much of hannibal's violence you know committed on women you know um he certainly doesn't display misogyny yes exactly he's not a misogynist he's he's, you know he if he kills a woman it's because he sees her as legitimately rude you know or right uh, or at least an obstacle you know yeah Um, i was was just thinking like what women well, Beverly, you know, oh, that, oh, the Beverly. first girl Georgia on the Mansion, stack. I guess. Yeah, Lass, I mean, all Alana, the girls on the stack. Alana, yeah. uh, he's, uh, basically manipulates him. No, only uh, the one yeah. girl on the stack. Yeah, only, oh, yeah, it was right. only the, the one. one girl on the stack. Yeah, um, the one. 
No, it was two girls. Yes, you're right. It was, it was two the girls. girl in two the girls. field, the field yeah. kabuki, and then it was um, her friend. But her arguably, friend. none Abigail's of those friend. none of those were things that he premeditated in the sense right. of like, oh, I'm going and looking for a victim. It, mm-hmm. They were out of necessity, right? And like he he mm-hmm. he was mimicking someone in one necessity case. might be a strong word. Well, but, with Beverly, uh, it's necessity. He was, you know, it was necessity yeah. for his design. Well, yeah, no, that's yeah. what I'm but, saying, though. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. yeah, but he wasn't um, he wasn't sitting around going, oh, this Beverly chick. On yeah, the spectrum of serial murder, Hannibal is not unnecessarily cruel. And that's fair. Mason most assuredly is. I mean, this is a guy who makes people cry so he can drink their tears in martinis, which is uh, yeah. I, still the lamest thing I've ever heard. It is quite movie. lame. And yet we yeah. get we get Hannibal feeding someone to himself, knowing that they're gonna die. I like there's some, I mean, Hannibal does some pretty like equally disturbing stuff but i think it's that veneer i will say he did what he about. did to why am i well, it's he, early in the morning so i'm blanking on every character's name but that's fine uh, abel gideon yeah. yes what he did to abel gideon is not ex- i mean yes it is obviously there are similarities but again it's like i feel like they're putting up these i feel like these similarities are being put up to show us how different they are mm-hmm. because yeah. he it's like what Mason's plan is for Hannibal is not exactly the same as what Hannibal did with Abel Gideon. Abel Gideon, he he made that painless for Abel. Mm. He did it because he wanted to have a like he wanted to have like a conversation with this person and like maybe learn something. Well, I think <laughs> about what this is, about what this is to like for someone to like be in this space of knowing their impending doom because that was like that's kind of where Hannibal was at the point that we saw those scenes that's kind of where he was and so it's kind of like again we're in this elevated space whereas Mason was like and you know Cordell is over there like I'm not gonna use anesthesia and I'm gonna mock you the entire time so again, it's like we're putting these similarities up to show how different they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hannibal, Hannibal ha- exists in a space where he does consider other people, even if it's just like with Abel Gideon, like a curiosity about like, okay, I need to, I need to understand him in certain scenarios. Um, Hannibal's educating himself sometimes with his interactions with those people. Mason doesn't exist in this space where he's curious about anybody. He's never thinking truly about anybody else except for in terms of like where they fit into his overwhelming narcissism. Um, and I also think, you know, like I keep asking myself every time I watch this, <laughs> this series, why do we have to have Mason Verger? Why, like, why? Why does he need to be in this TV series? I get that he's a, a character created. Um, I just, but why do we need him? And I think I've come to the conclusion that all of this is an education for us, right? Like we're now at in like ready to graduate from high school. We're, you know, ready to take exams. And that's, you know, we've come through all of this story ready to dissect and analyze um, without giving away too much, like the ultimate, um, yeah. crime scene, sure. if that makes sense. Right. Like, they're also simply just an element of, you know, Hannibal is the villain, but sometimes we need to see him as a hero. Well, yeah. And in oh, order yeah. for that to be true, we need someone way worse than Hannibal. Worse. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think but, but, too, but, what's Oh, sorry, Claire. I just was going to say, but we've been through this whole thing where we've seen multiple, you know, we've had a season where we've seen multiple killers. We've had a season where we're just like really involved in the relationship between uh, Will and Hannibal. We have Mason Verger and now we're moving into the, you know, where we're going to take all of these things that we've learned and, and use them. Yes, apply them. Not too many of the previous killers were killers that I personally would say, oh, this killer is worse than Hannibal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And Mason definitely is. And I think that, yeah. uh, you know, 
indeed, I would say most of the time we felt like Hannibal was worse than the killer that they were pursuing because Hannibal was uh, smarter and scarier and, you know, yeah. and doing things to them, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I, uh, I I do agree that there is a, you know, a learn a few things component as well. Yeah. Totally. Kelly Sue, did you have a thought to... Um, well, I was just, as everybody was talking, I was sort of meditating on the emotional differentiation between Hannibal and Mason in terms of them as killers. Like when Lisa brought up Abel Gideon, I was thinking, you know, it feels different to be murdered by someone who's thinking about your feelings. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure. Not to say that that's necessarily what Hannibal is doing with Abel, right? but it is something that he historically in the murders that we see, um, he takes into account most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like he really is considerate in that way. And it makes me think of like, this is such an interesting uh, uh, sort of like, needle to thread and thinking like where to where and how does this work well and why do we fall in love with characters who are clearly serial killers and what role does like their emotional intelligence and awareness and care play in that like I was thinking of Barry like Barry is a legitimate assassin who murders people for money <laughs> yeah right but he also is like I really genuinely care about how this goes down for you, you know? And it is that it's an interesting, it's, it just continues to make the show as interesting as it is for me because the beauty of the juxtaposition against somebody like Mason, who is just straight terrible, who derives joy from hurting children and from hurting people who are less than them and from hurting people in general. Um, that is the main difference, I think, for me. There's no emotional care. And it sounds insane to say this in the context of murdering. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Well, uh, I think I was relative. I totally. Think, <laughs> but I think Lisa really taps into the ugly truth that we all kind of want to avoid. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, Hannibal's charmed us. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, his his evil is more acceptable because we find him charming. You know, because totally. he's handsome, because he's urbane, because, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that shit works on us, you know. Yeah. Justin, yeah. He's Justin yeah. I don't try to avoid my attraction. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean, I, I, didn't, a, I, I know you were trying to yeah, avoid your and attraction. And I mean, like, I it's a thing. We weren't, it is a we weren't thing. confessing yeah. to that truth, yeah, yeah. is what I was I saying, you know. I confess now yeah. that I am attracted. I, I, I like Well, and God. it's like, as we all know from many conversations, it's like, I've got a thing for Loki. I've got a thing yeah. for Lestat. Mm-hmm. I've got a thing for bad guys well, that are also charming. And pasty. And handsome. I'm, I'm watching. I'm, I've, I've just started watching <laughs> Killing Eve, and I've got a thing for Oksana. So, oh, yeah. Of course. Every crush I've ever had on a fictional character, that person has been a murderer. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I started out watching Justified being like, ooh, Timothy Oliphant. And it only took like six episodes for me to be like, no, Walton Goggins. (laughs) Yeah, same. And you know, Kelly Sue and I were back and forth because I was like, I had the same exact experience watching that show. Exactly. By the last episode of that show, by the last season of that show, I was like, I'm here for Boyd Crowder. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, Raylan Givens is the bad guy here. (laughs) Raylan, get out of the way. This is a a whole Anyway, that's what we're talking about yeah. when we're totally. talking about Hannibal. Yeah. Oh my God. But it's yeah. exactly that. But it's exactly the charm. It is exactly the charm. And yet, and yet moving on to our next question here for a few minutes, <laughs> um, we, there, there is a sense of, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I want? Uh, a sense of uh, 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 victory or a sense of um, catharsis, vacation? right? No, vacation. No, a sense of a catharsis when, uh, not only when Jack kicks Hannibal's ass, um, but in this episode, we get Will laying down some truths and it feels yeah. really fucking good when Will mm-hmm. lays down those truths. And he says, he makes that distinction. No, you enjoyed it. I, I tolerated your abuse. 
and that's mm-hmm. that's that's the limit of it there's nothing really here sorry buddy yeah and and there is something like really cathartic about hearing that because you like as a viewer that's the moment that i uh, uh i want to be will telling all my exes that you know what i mean <laughs> i want to that's like <laughs> that's my moment right that i wish i had had with yeah them. will is getting sure. that moment with his abuser um mm-hmm. just as uh uh you know uh uh Margot and Alana get that with, uh, with Mason. Um, so let's talk about these final moments for just a couple of minutes before we go to break, uh, about how, I guess the, the feeling that you guys had when that all of you had, when Will finally gets this moment and, and what that means for him, what that meant for you, cause it's a pretty big moment, right? Oh, huge. I assume this is the moment you were talking about being your second favorite of the season or series, Kelly Sue. No, my favorite moment is when Hannibal surrenders <laughs> and says back oh. to him what Will said. Well, I kind That's of it. think of all of that as a single it's that, moment. Yeah, it's this little entire sequence, yeah. moment. Yeah. But yeah. any, it's, okay, it's, yeah. It's the entire thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. um, I think one of my favorite, one of the things that, to your point, Phil, about this being very cathartic and like the dream scenario for what we would want to say to all of our exes or, you know, people who've mistreated us. Sure. Um is actually two parts. It's the part where Will gets to say it. And then it's also Hannibal hearing it mm-hmm. and taking it in and leaving seemingly, <laughs> <laughs> respecting it, right? Yeah. Mm, except does he? No. Except does he? <laughs> so for a minute, that moment feels so, cause it, it, I, it carried so much weight for me because I was like, he's saying it and it's being heard. Right. Similarly to Alana and Margot decimating Mason, mm-hmm. it felt great because he was decimated. He right. wasn't just like, oh, well, fuck you, blah, 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 right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to go quietly and you're this. Like, that's why it feels so good because it also lands and is received against his will, notwithstanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's why it was so powerful for me. And then, you know, I mean, I can talk about what happens next as being like, you know, you tell off this person and you're like this, I'm finished with you. And they leave and you're like, ah, and then they come back with that. This is like Hannibal's version of the say anything moment with the (laughs) The boom box, box, right? (laughs) It really is. It's quite a gesture. I will never leave you, (laughs) right? Um, Which tugs at all of those, you know, twisted sort of fairy tale heartstrings. Sure, sure. Justin, you're making a face. What are are your thoughts here? Oh, I thought that Hannibal's, you know, very smooth pimp move at the end there Uh is the most abusive thing he's ever done to Will in the show. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that. So like at that moment, his charm dis- did not land for me. I was like, fuck you, dude. I was like, God damn, <laughs> I will continue to keep hurting you. That's just the way it's going to be, you know, as best as I'm able. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's, that's an especially poignant scene for me because not, you know, freaking two minutes before, I had been, you know, Mads was giving us his best version of, and he gives it from time to time in this show, of, you know, butthurt heartbreak, you know. And, you know, we see him leave and you almost feel bad for him. You know, you, you know, no one wants to see someone get told, I don't love you anymore, you know. Um, but you know, then when you refuse to hear it, you know, then I'm like, oh. No, dick move, Hannibal. Dick move. <laughs> um, it may be thus far for me in, in many ways, his biggest dick move, one of his biggest dick moves of the show, you know. Um I don't but, know. is it? Is it a dick move? Yeah, 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 yeah. If because if, he's let me also, tell you something. If, if Will was also, a woman, if Will was a woman, it would be very clear to see. She wants, you maybe. know, she is she's withdrawn consent and he is continuing to and Hannibal is continuing to Move but in he's on him. Also, not killing people anymore by surrendering. Mm. 
So he's. I think also, those two things are. I think those two things are are completely separate. And I am gonna. I'm actually. So it's like because I'm landing. I'm I'm fascinated by this argument yeah. because I'm landing right in the middle, and I think you're both right. Um, but I I think that it is it it was like I I feel two ways at the yeah. same time about it. Yeah. You know, like that moment happens because yes, it's like you're like yeah, like Will had his his moment, he stated his truth and seemingly Hannibal heard it. And then he comes back and he's like, not getting rid of me that easy. Yeah. And so it's like, I, and so, yes, I feel two ways about it. Like, yeah, it's kind of shitty that he's not really listening to Will, but Mm -hmm. it's also, it's more than just, I'm going to stay here. So you always know where to find me. Kelly Sue's right. It is, he is showing Will that how much he's willing to give up. He's giving up his freedom for Will. He's giving up his um, artistic pursuits for (laughs) Will. So it's more than just, I'm going to be here. It's I'm going to be here and I am giving things up for you. Like I could see it being abuse if he was leaving and then like taunting Will from afar and Mm. never leaving him alone knowing he doesn't want to hear from him. Like I, I do see the abuse angle with that, especially because the like passing of essentially zero time between Will saying, get out. I don't, I want nothing to do with you anymore. And then Hannibal is like, not even three seconds later. Well, sorry, you're going to have to, because I'm turning myself into the FBI where you work. You know, and he does it in a way where he's like, you, you will always know where to find me. So it's not like I'm going to be in your life. It's not like I'm going to force myself into your life. Right. But I'm going to be here if you ever want to talk. (laughs) I just feel like the, the giving up of the freedom and, and no longer murdering people, which he knows is what calls will to him to, you know, I don't want people to die. Like that's will's biggest thing. Um, I don't know. That's why it's, it's it, tangled it's, for me. It's the way a narcissist keeps control in a relationship like that, where they know yeah. they're being, they know the expectation is mm-hmm. I, I need to listen to this person and, and mm. hear what they're telling me mm. and do what they're saying. So he's doing what will wants him to do. Right. Like yeah. this was the original plan at the end of se- season two was right. you, you need to, you know, I want you put away and not doing bad things. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's giving will what will wanted at the end of season two, but right. doing it so that he can continue to exert influence on will so in There's that way still, I do yeah yeah so it's, it's all of the things I'm agreeing yeah, with Lisa it. yeah, in that, yeah, yeah my assessment everything. of it is like yes he it's is all of giving it. up the answer is yes for will, but he is not giving up his narcissism <laughs> right and the thing is it's like so like you know are narcissists capable of expressing love for someone else oh. and is this just how you yeah. know, I yeah. mean, for someone, for a narcissist like Hannibal, yeah. this is how he expresses love. It's fucked up, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the language he speaks. It's, um, it's interesting that you guys, and I'm not saying, when I say that I don't see it this way, I'm not saying you're wrong, just that, but it's interesting that you guys see him at Hannibal as giving up murdering, you know, for Will, because I, I think that there was never a time that Hannibal thought he was going to give up murdering i think he's like i'm going to hannibal confidently believes that he's always making the winning moves right i mean that's mm-hmm. one of the, the 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 big themes of the show is that he's always a step ahead you know um if he allows himself to be captured and he certainly does he literally surrenders it's because he eventually knows he'll have a way out you know um so I don't know that it's that really that level of sacrifice. I don't know that I I, would, I buy. Yeah, that it's that level no, of I sacrifice. could, and it's like yeah, I. But I would say that, and it's you know, this is something Hannibal has said to Will many times. Will surprises him. He can't predict Will, and that's part of why he's so fascinated by him. So it's like okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender myself and do this thing. But he doesn't, and it's like, I'm sure he has a feeling that Will will come back into his orbit at some point. 
I'm sure he like, he's planning on that. He wants that clearly. Does he know for sure? I don't know. I don't know. So is this because Will, he can't a, predict Will. So he is doesn't this know. More, is this more of a, I'm just curious to see what happens kind of a thing? That's a good question. Maybe. These are all good I don't thoughts. Think he's there. I don't think he's there with Will anymore. I don't think he's curious to see what happens. Yeah, I that's think, true. I think you're right. I think he's I think more he invested. I think if, at this point he's invested in the outcome yeah. of what happens. Yeah, like, which is, is not the case with his strong earlier. enough. And, and maybe yeah. that's yeah. Hannibal's big character arc. You know, this is Hannibal's strategic retreat hmm. to a place where he's going to wait for the next opportunity to point at Will, to send towards Will, to move him back in a direction towards Hannibal. This is this is why. All pause i decided early on that the true theme song for this show is it's all coming back to me now by celine dion <laughs> i think i think with that we will go to a break now because uh, i love that i love that um so yeah we'll be right back in a second uh for some more uh, hannibal talk Hey, Fanables. If you are enjoying this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you may listen. Check out our other ongoing show, That Episode Was, in which we've discussed Why the Last Man, the sixth season of The Expanse, and may have another thing coming up soon. Follow us at PopsiclePod on all social media platforms or sign up for our newsletter at PopsiclePod.com for all upcoming and ongoing podcast and related info. That's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so we've talked at great lengths about the romantic structure of the show, how it sort of mirrors uh, our romantic comedies and, and romances from uh, out of Africa to just brought up before the break, uh, 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 holding the boombox above the head. Say anything. Uh, say, say anything. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that. We talked a little bit about the sort of more fantastic, like the, the fairy tale elements of this show. Um, and I think I want to talk about that here for a couple minutes because in this 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 episode this this part of the season felt like a we were in fairy tale land for a lot of it and as Chio sort of walks away into the night uh you, she like walks back into fairy world like she's like disappearing again and that sort of element seems dissipate with a very grounded and real end that, that, that we get um so I want to talk about this element of fairy tales like move away from well it's hard to to completely pull the, the romantic out of the fairy tale because I feel like they're always so intertwined. But with fairy tales, you get a lot of cannibalism. Kids are brought up on stories where people eat people, giants eat people, witches eat people. Like they're like, this is a huge part of what we grow up with as kids and the stories we're told. Um, and, and, you know, the, that element just is all over this, uh, especially the first part of the season. Um, so I guess I'm curious, uh, my co-hosts here, how this, how effective this is for you? Like, what what do these myths and how do they they feed into this Hannibal thing? What do they they say to you? Um, in in the same way that we've been talking about, I guess the romantic structure. Um, maybe this is I think, yeah. Go for it. Um, I think that what when we're when talking about Hannibal and the stories of Hannibal Lecter, um, but particularly in the show, I think that the fairy tale elements of this show, which are many and very vast, it's we've talked at length about how gorgeous it is to watch and how beautiful the visuals are. All of that to me is a very fairy tale aesthetic that this show brings. And there's so much symbolism in this, right? Um, because at any time we're put into the context of horror, our body's own kind of like survival instincts start to kick in. So we're learning about ourselves and how we respond to being afraid and our, you know, our own mortality or whatever. And then when you add these elements of like magic and beauty and romance, 
we get pulled back out of our survival instincts. And we're sort of like in this weird in-between where we're observing ourselves as these like primal beings that are, you know, hell bent on just surviving. But we also get keyed into this sort of like higher consciousness mind that sees creativity and that sees the ethereal and starts to see connections we wouldn't have otherwise seen when we aren't focused on surviving. It's what differentiates this from something like the hills have eyes, where it's just like, you're just going to be shocked and in terror and horrified and disgusted. And there's a time and place for that, right? But I think that that's another reason why fairy tales get told to kids is it's like, let me hook you in with this creative mind, but also teach you a lesson about what's dangerous and what's not. Did any of that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, I was talking. Okay. I mean, I'm, you're I'm talking into the fact that fairy tales, by and large, are cautionary tales. Yes. Exactly. And, and they're ways of teaching, you know, kids to be afraid of the world because kids pretty much aren't at first, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think we have to remember that a lot of these fairy tales were written at a time when kids yes needed to be taught to be afraid of the world but they also lived in a time where they saw these things regularly you know one in three kids was dying before the age of what of nine or whatever um so if you were growing up in in these you know you you saw death and you saw animals eating dead animals and you saw you know what i mean like the the process of taking care of the dead throughout history is drastically different than the way we take care of the dead today. Yeah. We don't see death today. We don't see dead humans mm-hmm. today. Yeah. That's, we're shielded from that. And when, you know, you look back through the history of, you know, like when these fairy tales were, were written, everybody saw the death and it sat in your house for days after it happened. And, and the concept of cannibalism is very different, you know, in terms of like other cultures, et cetera. Well, I mean, cannibalism is, a, but it's a whole different thing than just death. Uh, you know, because you're right, you know, kids did die all the time back in the mm-hmm. day when these fairy tales were being come up with and death was a much bigger part of someone's life. But that didn't stop people from feeling like they were the top of the food chain. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, this, this is a different kind of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mean, to this day, literally the thing that scares me most is the idea of being eaten alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like encountering a shark or a tiger that decides, look at this buffet, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like that really, that scares me, you know? Um, and, you know, I, being eaten is not natural for us to consider we eat things we are the top of the food chain you know um nothing really preys on us as a rule you know and anything that ever did we 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 beat them they're you know they're in cages you know we we show our kids oh look at the lion you know (laughs) like (laughs) you know we we turn them into stuffed animals we we diminish them you know um so for us to still be hunted is a very primal fear. You know, it hits us where we live. Um, and that's why cannibal stories, because you, you're right, you know, Phil's right in the basic premise that cannibal stories were a big part of fairy tales. Now they're a big part of horror stories mm-hmm. for adults, yes, yes, not for kids. You know, Kids Fair mm-hmm. is no longer filled with, and it's interesting because I think I find myself thinking about stuff like this a lot because we don't tell kids these kinds of stories anymore. Fairy tales are rarely presented in this way. They're Disneyfied. And, you know, whatever else is true about Disney movies, they're not filled with people getting mad. You know what I'm saying? Um, not always. <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not any in like the last, you know, 25 years. For yeah. Sure. yeah. And, we, well, we've evolved. We've evolved the same way we've evolved in how we deal with death. Is that We've, better though? Is my question. No, question no, I, I don't. To. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I think, I think we've lost a connection to the nature of death mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. and part of this is part of the reason why I'm saying all of this is that I am, I am reading a book called smoke gets in your eyes by a woman named uh, Caitlin Dowdy, who 
worked for years and years and years in a mortuary running a crematory. And she looks at this, you know, she writes books about it in terms of like just really analyzing how treating death has changed and been different for different cultures. Um, and it was very interesting because it was so timely watching this episode and listening to the conversation between Chio and Hannibal about Misha and that he didn't kill her, but he did eat her. And he's not giving us the circumstances around that, but in reading this book, she talks about an indigenous tribe in Brazil called the Wari, whose burial method is cannibalism because it is horrific to them, to the idea that parts of your body could exist in the world in an uncontrolled manner. So burying the dead or cremating the dead even and letting it go out, you know, someplace where we don't know where this person has gone is so horrible that they, they chop up the dead and the whole village gets together and they eat them, not out of like sustenance or like, you know, um, wanting to, it's but funerary. They, it's, it's, it's a, it's a method of control to take that person into their bodies and yep. always have them. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder if that's what Hannibal did with Misha. Yeah. Huh? I mean, it, it sounds, yeah. I mean, like, like a- it's, it's definitely, it can be, I mean, it's obviously it can be this kind of crazy act of love. And I know that we were trying to kind of remove romance. Oh, no, no, it's hard to do that. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what it can be at times. Like you're like, but it's true. There are, you know, there are cultures that practice this as a form of honor, you know, and, um, and it's, uh, yeah, you basically, I mean, you were saying a lot, everyone was saying a lot of what I was thinking as well, that it's like, I think that part of the appeal of this show for me is that it does kind of like it does really put mortality on a pedestal kind of where it's like it's yes this is there's destruction and there is also creation and it never stops and that's that's what it is that's what we're doing here and that's the that's the story and um it's the story of our lives. It's the story of, you know, human evolution. And, you know, that's why all these fairy tales and myths and everything exist to kind of like pass down this knowledge, keep this knowledge alive that it's like, yeah, we're all going. What are you doing with it? Right. Yeah. I just want you guys to know that I consider you guys my tribe. And if you decide to eat me after <laughs> I die, you know, so that you can be in control of what happens to my remains. I'm hip. Okay. I'm cool with that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. I'm, I'm not. I guess I'll deal. also, I guess I'll also say that. If my cats haven't yeah, gotten to me first, that. if my cats haven't gotten to me first, well, you're more than welcome to me. That's well, actually no, a really good point though, because before, you know, before this, the era of our lives that is, you know, the Walmart funeral or whatever, where you're stuck into this, you know, hyper sealed box. <laughs> and treated with all these fucking chemicals like with a tribe like this that's indigenous and living in the land like if they don't eat you something else is yeah yeah, yeah. an animal bugs microbes yeah, yeah. you know yeah. I'm, you're gonna I'm, get eaten by something <laughs> but i'm sitting here and thinking about because that's what i said to me is easy you know like you guys can eat me after i'm dead because i'm dead who gives a shit the question yeah. is would i if it when kelly sue said yeah, you can do that to me too. <laughs> and, and then I was like, wait, can I do that? <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, I kind of like the idea, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. that the I, people who I, that the people who love me and that I love, like, literally take me into them. I'm like, yeah. but are you, are you prepared sweet. to take, are you prepared to take them into you is my question. Yes. Well, that is the ultimate question. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not saying I will, I will do it for those that I love. If I'm, they yeah. want me to, <laughs> I'm not going to say you, like, oh, I'm going to, they don't requested find that a burial by I don't sea, find, but yeah. I have a better idea. I'm going to eat them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if they're like, Lisa, I love you so fucking much. And if I feel the same way, 
dude, I want you to eat a piece of me. I the most yes. incredible idea for a script ever. But <laughs> it is a great idea for a script. Like a friend passes away and in their will says, these are the people that I want to eat me. Mm. Dinner party. You just call it dinner Kelly party. Sue, you got your next script Imagine, nice. imagine though the person. I love it. Working on it today. I love it. <laughs> there, there's so many things I could say, but um, <laughs> we are going to, actually, we're going to pass it over to Lisa now because uh, we're coming, we're, we're quickly coming oh, to the head yeah. of this, uh, uh, <laughs> so the exquisite corpse. So Lisa, Lisa, take it away with this exquisite corpse. <laughs> Oh my god, yay, I got this one. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I have to say about this corpse is that it's gross. Next. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm like, we can keep talking about eating each other when we're dead because <laughs> I don't want to talk about this one. <laughs> Um, yeah, so hey, welcome to Exquisite Corpse. It's this one that's about the, that's like the dead verger baby inside the pig. Uh, awesome. So cool. Um, I didn't know really what to say about this because I mean, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit at the top of the show where it's like, I didn't want this. <laughs> Nobody so, wants this. <laughs> so, you know, I was like trying to like form thoughts around it. Like, oh, well, you know, humans and pigs share a lot of the same DNA. And what about the fact that, you know, we always talk about and the show always talks about Hannibal, like referring to his victims as pigs and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, but I don't know, man. I can't finish a thought around it because it's, I don't really want to hold it. So I don't really want to encircle it with a lot of thoughts. You know what I mean? Oh, are yeah. you saying that you can't put lipstick on a pig? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I cannot put lipstick on this pig. So I was kind of like. <laughs> so I was just going to be like. This one made up fucking hijacks the whole conversation. I'm glad made for it. Up. Can that be the end <laughs> then? Needed to. Because yeah. I, I just, do have to agree. I think that, that that's perfect. And then that's like nothing that Lisa says is going to, you know, you, yeah. you don't keep eating the dessert after you get the Sunday. Yeah. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, like, no. the cherry. So exactly. So congratulations, really everyone. That was your exquisite corpse. <laughs> you can't put lipstick Listen. on this big. I, oh my God. I actually physically had to say that. <laughs> you did. I feel like you did. I feel like you would have collapsed. I'm glad for it. You, you saved me. You saved me like from having collapsed. to continue. Certain talking things should this. not be contained. No, they should not oh be. My God. You cannot put lipstick on a pig that's pregnant with a human fetus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, we're going to let that sit for like, we're going to give that two seconds of silence. Oh. Ooh. And then we'll move God. on. All right, uh, Justin, <laughs> uh, you got recommendation, bud. What do you got? Okay. Well, so I came in uh, before yesterday. I was planning to recommend Elementary. Mm -hmm. oh, I've um, done that. That was from the very first episode. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, yeah. Do it again. I eventually, I eventually started watching it, and I'm enjoying it. I Aww, just finished but... the first season, and yeah, that's an easy recommendation to make. You know, and certainly apropos for Hannibal watchers but the the recommendation I now feel I have to make maybe not as appropriate for Hannibal watchers except that in its way this was a very particularly adult story but wildly different from what happens in Hannibal and that's because last night my wife and I watched Turning Red on Disney Plus oh. and Turning Red is a story it is very much a story about i mean they, they flat say it multiple times it's about a girl becoming a woman you know like yeah. there is certainly there's a bit of a metaphor for you know puberty and yeah. transforming into a giant red panda in order to reflect that um 
And it's a not so subtle allusion to menstruation, I think. Although they even discuss menstruation a little bit in a damn Disney movie in this. Yeah. Which blew, blew me away and impressed the shit out of me. What? Yeah. You know? I mean, um, turning red is not not on the nose. No, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I felt part of the reason I felt motivated to watch it in the first place, beyond the fact that it's a Pixar movie and the worst Pixar movie is better than most movies. Um yeah is because there was a cinema blend put out a review of the film that later got pulled because the reviewer a white mm -hmm. you know a white man basically said this is a movie about you know asian american girls in canada and i can't relate to it you know <laughs> yeah it was pretty like, ridiculous he, he basically oh. made that he, pretty he ridiculous. was like this he he called it exhausting you know and it was basically i'm sorry was, a white man calls a movie that's a metaphor for menstruation exhausting. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I'm shocked. I'm sorry. <laughs> the levels, the levels of sorry, there's so Justin. many levels to that. No, yeah. it's okay. It's just yeah. it's super important to me because I walked away for, after seeing the movie. You know, uh, mm. you know, because that that made me want to see the movie more. I was like, yeah. I'd love to see what exhausts old white men. You know, <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> And it, I walked away saying to myself, if you didn't, you don't have to like this movie. No one has to like anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. That's, there's no accounting for taste. But if you find this movie unrelatable, it's because you either don't know or don't like women, period. Paragraph, mm. the end. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, I, because this movie was a fucking delight. It was hilarious. Yeah. It was hilarious. It was charming as all hell. And it was girly, completely girly. Aww. And it was, it was like it's hard to feel like this is a movie for kids because it's a particular kind of girly. This movie is set in 2002. And so this movie is very much for the women who were girls 20 years ago. You know? Like, and it was like, it, it was a delightful movie. I really, I laughed all through the movie. And when the movie wanted me to cry, I cried. It was Love it. spot on. It was spot on. Charming. Uh, was it Asian? Sure. It, it had plenty, especially in its visually stylings. Like you see a lot of, you know, Asian comics and animation influence in it for sure. You know, Amazing. Um, but it's as Asian how, how as is that the a bad menu thing, at Panda Express. Yeah. Why is, is that, why is so that a criticism? Yeah. You know, like oh, that's a. Oh, oh, I, it's only. It's only. No, and I know that you're saying. It's no, a I know good that. Thing, I know that. It's I'm, like yeah. the point that I'm making. I, what I was going to say was, it's only a criticism for people who can't handle stories that aren't about white men or yeah. white males. You it know? just yeah. it constantly astounds me the degree of blindness these people have about the fact that they insist on only being given entertainment that they can relate to at, while at the same time negating the idea that there are other people in the world who want to see entertainment that they relate to, that they see themselves in. Well, and that if you're right? not like literally just, seeing seriously? a white man at the center of it, then it is automatically unrelatable 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 and make no mistake yeah. when in his review he said look he said this movie's not for me and that's fine he wasn't trying to say this movie shouldn't have been made he was just and so because that's how i felt about glee glee was not made for me and that's fine do you know what i'm saying i, I never once complained about it i certainly wouldn't bother to watch it and then review i would not go see something that i don't think i'm like the intended audience for and then write a review of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's just shit. But I imagine that you could watch Glee, Justin, and go, Probably. okay, I can gain an understanding of the people that this movie or this piece of entertainment is for. Yes, and I absolutely. you would yeah. walk away yeah. from it going, yeah. oh, okay, I get this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there's other people that this is directed at. But that's not that's what's the... going on here. No, I know. Because this right. is a very universal story. It's a story about puberty. Right. Like, it's about as as Asian heavy 
as the menu at Panda Express. You know no. what I'm saying? It's yeah, super, but I think we are all very avidly yes. agreeing you know? yes. with we're you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're so yeah. listen. Yeah. We're just let's all well, are we're all going to watch Turning Red? Let's go rock. Please do. Please all watch it. I think you'll. I will say that is the perfect recommendation, Justin, for us to cleanse ourselves, our palates from this particular episode and exposing corpse to move away into something we go. I also it's agreed. turning red and now we're going towards the red dragon so i know claire cannot contain herself know, with how like, excited uh, she is to talk yeah. about i, I, the I red feel dragon. like so feel let's like, do it i feel like i've already <laughs> lost uh, my my hosting responsibility here because you just you just did it for me claire you just right. took, you just took it and ended our episode and i appreciate that uh i don't have to think about how to do it now so join us next tuesday for season three episode eight the great red dragon you can always help us by subscribing sharing and leaving a nice comment until next time uh make sure you chew your loved ones before you swallow This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.